Chapter 3 Secret Sins Sermon 151, preached Wednesday, the 4th of March, 1556, on Deuteronomy 27, verses 16 through 23. Cursed be he who curses his father and his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he who removes his neighbor's boundary mark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he who misleads a blind person on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he who perverts the justice due to the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he who lies with his father's wife, for he uncovers the skirt of his father's garment, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he who lies with any beast, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father or of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he who attacks his neighbor secretly, and all the people shall say, Amen. We have already seen what God was aiming at in appointing this solemnity that the people should meet together on Mount Ebal, which is over against Mount Gerizim, to pronounce the curses that are set down here. For when God has once uttered his will to us, that is good enough for us, and all of us should consent to it and confess that to cleave to his word is the rule of all righteousness. For the chief honor God requires of us, as though it were setting of our seals upon it, John 3.33, is to declare that there is no gainsaying or replying to what he speaks but that it is altogether certain and ought to be adhered to. Furthermore, we ought to mark also that the condition of men's agreeing to God's word is such that if they do the contrary in their lives, they condemn themselves with their own mouths. For it is not good enough for us to profess that whatever God says is rightful and reasonable, but we must also show, by our deeds, that his teaching has full force and authority among us. So then, He who gives such a confession with his mouth is his own judge without any other process of law, if he does not follow what has been taught him and what he knows to be right. Now we have seen how God spoke of idolatries and then of superstitions. And I mentioned then that it is enough for us to have some examples here touched upon to show us that God requires the full obedience of his law at our hands, as the conclusion of the passage demands. You see, then, that God ratified his whole service. Cursing Parents Now he comes to the second table, and begins with the honor and subjection that is due to the father and mother. Cursed shall that man be, he says, who curses his father and mother. Verse 16. Now this curse is very important, for it includes all that is repugnant to the honor, obedience, and help children owe their fathers and mothers. Therefore, Whoever does not yield honor to his father and mother is here cursed by God. We have seen before the punishment that was appointed for them in Deuteronomy 21 verses 18 through 21. So that if any man had disobedient children, he could bring them before the judges and they were, upon his single witness, to be stoned to death, and so such evil was to be taken away. For it is an unkindly and accursed thing that children should set themselves against those who brought them into the world and have brought them up, and have taken such pain and care for them. For we know that a father occupies the place, as it were, of God towards his own children and offspring. It follows then that he who lifts himself up against his father or his mother is manifestly despising God, 
even if he were a despiser of all religion. Now here, by the way, God tells us that although judges and magistrates may not do their duty of executing the rebellious youth, or if perchance the wrong done to his father and mother is born with, yet he is not therefore escaped. Many crimes are buried in this world, but God reserves his judgment even so, and sooner or later they must come to account. Let us mark well, then, that there is no more speaking here of the execution of justice by means of law, for that has been spoken of before. Here God declares that those who have offended through disobedience, even though they are not punished in this world, and even though their faults are not known, so that no examination is made of them such as they deserve, have still gained nothing thereby because there is heavenly judgment, who forgets nothing but keeps all things registered before himself and in the end he shall perform his office. Therefore, let us think well concerning this teaching, and even if men find no fault with us, and no man vexes or troubles us, let us not fall asleep for that reason. Rather, let every man summon himself according to what is told us here, and consider that we must come before the judgment seat of God. And therefore, let us learn to walk in such a way that he may accept us when we come there, and so that we do not stand in fear of the curse uttered here. Not that any of us can perform the law, as I have declared more fully in earlier sermons, but we are obliged to tend toward it, and to put our endeavor into it. For even though we are not completely clean before God, but are on the contrary guilty of many of the faults that are contained here, yet, yet he does not lay them to our charge, if we hate them and do not give ourselves over to them, or let the bridle slack. For this reason let us learn to restrain ourselves, and to be sorry, seeing we are not as perfect as is required. But with all that, as I have declared before, let us strain ourselves to please our Lord God and to obey Him, and let us have such a record in our own conscience that we may freely and with open mouth say, Cursed be he who has not followed the teaching of salvation in such a way as it is shown to us. To make any long discourse on the honor that every man owes to his father and mother is not needful at this point, because the law has been expounded already before this. It suffices now to know that in this text God declares that all disobedience, as well against fathers and mothers as against all superiors whom he has set in authority in this world, is intolerable in his sight. For he will not have us to live here in a disorderly manner like beasts, but he will have order and government observed among us. And that cannot be done unless we stand in awe of such as bear any office for the common government of men. Whoever then breaks God's order, let him look to be accursed, just as St. Paul also tells us in Romans 13.4, that those who rebel are not resisting creatures or men, but make war against God himself when they go about to overthrow the superiority he has ordained and commended to us. Mark that for one point. Secret Theft Now next is added, Cursed be he who plucks up his neighbor's boundary marks, verse 17. We must always bear in mind what I have told you already, namely that here, under one heading, God includes all similar kinds. I told you at that place that if a man's land are not kept secure, no man will be master of his own possessions, but all will go to spoil and chaos. And surely the maintenance of just weights and measures, of lawful money, and the keeping of boundaries unchanged, are things that are universally acknowledged. How can men buy and sell, or engage in any trade at all, if the coin is not lawful? Again, if weights and measures are falsified, we shall be cheated. What purpose will justice serve any more? 
and we can say the same for boundaries and landmarks. So then, under this saying, God intended to show that it was necessary for us to observe equity and uprightness in dealing with one another. It is true that laws are enacted to punish such offenses, so that if any man shift his neighbor's boundary mark or remove it, it will not be enough for him to set it in the right place again or make amends for what he has done, but he will also openly be punished as for a heinous crime. The same is to be done for falsifying of weights and for the maintenance of false measures. Concerning the counterfeiting of coin, if a man does so, it is not enough for him to pay back what he has wrongfully taken, but he must also die for it, and with good reason. For otherwise, as I said, all laws would have to be abolished, and it would be better for us to be wild beasts than to live without those means that God has ordained, nature also having taught us the same thing. But suppose some man defrauds his neighbor, whether by false measure or by some other wicked practice, seeking to advantage himself through another man's loss, and the magistrate does not learn of it, or cannot solve the case, so that it remains unpunished. Well, here we are shown that in the end it will come to account, before the heavenly judge. If a poor man is bereft of his right, or oppressed by an authority, by violence or otherwise, so that he dare not say a word about it, or find no advocate to take his case in this world, yet God guarantees him justice. And those who think themselves greatly benefited by enriching themselves by hook or crook will at length find that it would have been much better for them to have had but one bit of bread to eat than to have had ever so much to glut themselves with, and that it would have been better for them to have heeded the curse here set down. For God has no need of the help of man. Suppose all men dealt wrongly here, so that all things were confused and put out of order. Yet this saying will not fall to the ground. The man who removes his neighbor's boundary mark shall be accursed when God performs his office. It is true that he wants men to use the sword, those into whose hand he has placed it, and he has ordained that they do so. And if they are slack and slow in doing it, he will show them that he appointed them not in vain to punish crimes and offenses. But mortal men cannot prejudice him. When an earthly judge fails to discharge his duty, it does not follow that this weakens God's authority, or that he is bereft of fit means to execute his office, or that he is idle. For he is not like worldly princes, who trust to their officers and are well contented to act as blind persons when things go amiss. As for me, they say, I understand that all things go well, and concerning my officers, my will is that they should act faithfully to what I have commanded them. A prince thinks it is enough for him to have said the word, but in reality God is looking over them and controlling them, and even though offenders and transgressors escape the hands of men, yet shall they be punished at his hands in the end. So then, let us not be worrying like the thief that we might be seen, or that we might not do a quick job of our deceit, but rather let us be worrying about this saying, Cursed shall he be who pulls up his neighbor's landmark. Men may not see it at all, but God sees it, and we can no more avoid his eyes than we can his hand. So let us beware of all fraud and false dealings, assuring ourselves that our Lord watches over us, and that he watches in such a way that he will not permit the poor to be crushed, or the simple to be outraged or devoured, without such things being punished. Rather, he will show in the end how it is with good reason that he claims to himself the title of judge of the whole earth. Neighborliness. 
Next we find, Cursed be he who causes the blind to stray out of the way, or to stumble in the way. Verse 18. This is a cruelty even against nature. For the more need a man has, the more other men ought to pity him and aid him. He is a poor blind man. Men see him ready to take a fall, and they do nothing to prevent it. Those who take pleasure in such things must be of a totally evil and corrupt disposition, so that there is not one drop of common kindness in them. In brief, they must be lovers of all cruelty and evil. For even the heathen greatly abhorred such things, so that in some places such a deed was as grievously punished as murder, theft, or other similar things. Commonly, however, men made no law for it, the reason being that it was held that every man ought to be sufficiently learned in his own behalf, so that it would be superfluous to have said, If a man see a blind man, let him set him on his way. Nevertheless, as I have said before, we have to note that God extends the matter and teaching further. In effect, his meaning is to say, Cursed shall he be who allows his neighbor to go astray for want of good counsel. For just as a blind man rushes against things and stumbles, and goes astray if he is not led and guided in his way, so also, when we lack counsel and good advice, we are surely in the same plight that the blind man are in, unless we are rescued. Indeed, although a man may have eyes, yet if he is in a strange and unknown country, and goes quite out of his way, so that he is running hither and thither, and men leave him alone, it is all the same as if they had made a blind man go out of his way. The heathens also considered this to be so. It is not for us to seek excuses and say, Why so? God is only speaking concerning blind men. Indeed, but even those who had neither law nor gospel were able to see the duty, and show us our lesson, namely, that whoever does not show the way to a traveler when he sees him out of his way, is a very monster and a detestable creature. And so is he also who is stingy with the light of his candle. I see a poor man whose candle is out, and he comes to me to light it again. Doing this for him cost me nothing, and yet I say to him, You shall have nothing from me. Are such people worthy to live on earth? So then, let us mark well God's meaning, where he curses all such as set the blind out of the way, or cause them to stumble. So let us gather together what I have touched on heretofore, which is that here God makes us to understand that, if any of our neighbors have need of our help, we must help him if we are of ability and have opportunity to do it, especially if it is of no cost or charge to us. Indeed, even if it should cost us something, yet we are bound to help such as are in need and distress. And so, what are we bound to do when it costs us nothing, and we need only open our mouths to give counsel? In that case, we are not called upon to disperse anything. We are not in danger of losing either time or money, as they say. The thing is to be done at free cost. Shall we then be so cruel as to let a poor man sustain harm through our evil? What kind of dealing is that? Do not such people deserve to be confounded? But, as I said before, this place does not deal with open punishments to be executed by earthly judges. God tells us that even though such dealings are born with and laughed at, yet it will come to account before him. Now since this is so, let every man look to himself. And first let us beware that when our neighbors are in any extremity, we are also pitifully moved with compassion to assist them. If it looks as if a blind man needs our help, let us be pressed and ready to reach out our hand and lend it to him. 
and especially if our Lord grants us the grace to be able to serve our neighbor's needs without cost and without straining ourselves in the matter. Let us understand that he is doing us a great honor, for whoever relieves the needy is the minister of God. Thus God employs us in his service and promises that our labor shall not be lost. Shouldn't this provoke us the more to it? Note this, therefore, for a special point, that such as are succorless are here commended to us by God. And moreover, let us realize that if we are bound to guide the blind, lest they stumble or stray out of the way, we ought to be much more forward and ready to advise a man when we see he has need of counsel and is likely to fall into some danger for want of our advice. But indeed, much more ought the way of salvation to be regarded, so that if we see a man pushing himself over the line and heading into destruction, we must not disdain to warn him, saying, Wretched creature, where are you going? What are you doing? Do you desire to perish? And especially when he does it in ignorance, if we then spare our tongues so that they are not used as instruments of salvation to the poor ignorant soul who wishes to be taught, surely such recklessness will not go unpunished or be forgotten by God. Even though neither law nor justice proceeded against it, yet will this curse be ratified upon it. In brief, let us mark that our Lord meant by this threat to encourage us to pity and compassion, in succoring all such as have need of us, and especially in employing ourselves when we see poor ignorant persons destitute of counsel, and we ourselves are able to bring them back again to the right way. Thus much concerning that point. Justice and Oppression A second statement concerning cruelty immediately follows. Cursed be he who perverts the justice due to the stranger, the widow, and the fatherless. Verse 19. It is true that to the utmost of our power we must maintain every man's right. Nevertheless, our Lord in this place, as he has before, speaks of widows, fatherless, and strangers, because they lie open to a great number of injuries and outrages, and no man sets himself in their defense. Indeed, few have any care at all of them, because they are not able to make any recompense. Men see a stranger, see how he can be fleeced, how he can be oppressed, how he can be wronged, yea, and that openly, and yet it will be winked at. And why? Because every man will be friendly toward his own neighbor. But as for that man, he is not of the same country or of the same city. He does not belong to us. Thus you see how the poor man is left destitute. In a similar case are widows and fatherless children. As for the fatherless child, men do not expect him to acknowledge what is done for him today or tomorrow. Sometimes he lies in his cradle and does not know who does him good and who does him evil because he has no discretion. He cannot requite the pleasure done to him and therefore every man leaves him alone. In the same situation do widows stand, especially when they are poor and are of no great reputation in the world. Every man shrinks from them, and they are left, as it were, in a gob of spittle. Now, because these things come to pass so commonly, God purposefully takes such people into his protection, saying that if any man rests or hinders the right of the stranger, the widow, or the fatherless, he shall be punished. Even if it is not accounted of before the world, but rather such evil doers are well liked, yet will he call them before him, and show that he cares for those he has taken into his safekeeping. And so under one heading, God meant to show briefly that if we tread upon such as have no reputation and no means to defend themselves and no one to lean upon in this world, yet 
he reserves to himself their avenging. That is what we have to gather from this text. Now, perverting or hindering the right, verse 19, is nothing other than the unjust and causeless oppression of the feeble and weak, and such as have no one to support and maintain them. The manner or figure of speech here set down in his Holy Scripture means the same thing as our expression, to dash a good case to the ground, and in general means to disappoint a man of his right. Now therefore, if I rob a man, when I take to myself those things that belong to him, when I strip him out of his substance, when I thrust him out of all that he has, when I overmaster him and take more upon myself than is properly mine, then I do hinder his right. And so we see, as I said before, that in this text God shows that he shall be the judge of all the outrages done to such as have no means to avenge themselves and are forsaken and forgotten by men. If we are well advised, surely we would be more afraid to have God as our adversary than all the world put together. And indeed, we show that we give small credit to God's word, since if a man is of a great family and has many friends, if a man is rich or highly favored by the world, we dare not meddle with him, even if he has molested us. Yet we shall sweetly swallow it up, and be very careful not to provoke him. In such a way men will put up with all such as have the wherewithal to maintain themselves in this world, even when those who are destitute are robbed and devoured. Yet notwithstanding, God is their defender, and he says that in oppressing such folk we make war against him, and therefore that he also will not be slow to lift up his arm in the maintenance of those whom he has taken under his protection. But men do not heed that, and thus do we not betray our unbelief? For if we had a true and lively sense that God is not jesting here, when he tells us that his curse shall light upon those who mistreat the weak and such as have no champions, it is certain that we should quake whenever we are tempted to do evil to any poor creature that has no stay, credit, or authority in this world. I see that this man has neither relatives nor friends. I see that no man regards him. I see that he is undefended. Now, if I advance myself against him, or if I trouble him, God will set himself against me, for he has set his mark upon the poor man and has told me that if I meddle with such a person, he will take the case to himself and I shall be regarded as having challenged and disparaged his own majesty. If we keep this in mind, it is certain that we should be much more restrained and held back by his fear than we are by all the favors and displeasures of this world. Nevertheless, we see the clean contrary. We are very dull in this regard. It is certain that such cruelty as is committed against poor folk who have no stay to lean upon demonstrates manifest contempt of God, and an utter scorning of him, as if to say that he is unable to execute the vengeance he has threatened. Now, when God is so lightly esteemed, do we think he will put up with it? You see here, first, how this kind of outrage is even against nature. For if we were not so caught up in our wicked affections, surely every one of us would confess that it is much worse to have hurt or devoured a poor weak creature than to have done harm to a rich man who is well allied and has reserves and power to avenge himself. All men will grant that. Therefore, it is one of the greatest and most outrageous faults that can be found among men. Again, it is a scorning of God, a most devilish wickedness when we are not moved at this statement of God. I have these people in my hand. I will maintain them. Whoever advances himself against them must prepare to have me as his adversary party. 
If we make no account of this, as if God had never spoken it, is it not a token that we are too hard-hearted? And therefore, as I have already said, let us learn to bethink ourselves better, and to have a better regard of Him. And when we have dealings with such people as are despised by the world, without alliance, without friends, without deliverers, let us beware that we deal in such a way with them that it may always run in our minds that they are God's children, and that the heavenly judge shall not forget the wrongs that are done to them, especially since he has told us here that those who have been so cruel to the feeble shall not escape his curse. Sexual Perversion Now Moses adds further in verses 20 through 23, Cursed be he who lies with his father's wife, with any beast, with his own sister, or with his mother-in-law. This passage treats all the infamous sorts of lechery, even the most loathsome kinds of them, whether incest or sodomy, or other such corruptions. And it is with good reason that God chooses out these particular kinds, for it is to the end that we should be touched with the more fear and terror when we go about any kind of lechery. God could have said simply, in one word, Cursed be he who commits any lechery. And indeed, this is the very mark at which this text aims. Nevertheless, he did not content himself so, but as I said, he chooses those examples that are most outrageous. Why? So that we should be touched the more to the quick. For we see how slow we are in hearkening to the things God tells us. We have his word, but what about it? It passes out of our minds. We shall not tarry to say that it behooves us to keep ourselves from breaking the law, but if vices are spoken of in only one or two words, will they be esteemed as they ought to be, which is as crimes before God that deserve endless death? We see how every man excuses himself, so that the secret thief makes no consequence of filching until he goes from being a petty thief to being a robber, and then it seems to him as if things are no different from the way they were before until he becomes a murderer and a cutter of men's throats. Thus do men proceed in degrees of theft, and so also they do in lechery. Then they count it as nothing, until eventually they fall into the greatest extremities, seeing then that we are so dull, and are not touched with the kind of fear we ought to have when God condemns sin and would pluck us back from it. Therefore it is needful that he should set before us the examples that are most detestable, even such as are calculated to make the hairs of our heads stand on end when we hear them named, even if we clench our teeth against his word. This is so that no man should beguile himself with fond flattery, but every man be careful to hold himself under the obedience of God. Here then we see two things. The one, that God has condemned all unchastity and all manner of lechery. The other is that he has purposely chosen the things that are most ugly, such as incest and uncleanness against kind, and such as bestiality. And why? So that men should have occasion to set their minds the better, and not do as they are commonly accustomed, which is to listen to what is said and yet ignore it, as if to say, All this is very true, and yet make no account of it, acting like people who have been dazed, as if a man had knocked them on the head with a sledgehammer. So much for the first point. Incest And we see how God is much concerned about incest. When he says, Cursed be he who lies with his mother-in-law, the wife of his father, or with the daughter of his father or mother, or with his own daughter-in-law, and such other degrees. And why? Because we see that men in all ages have overshot themselves in this manner. God is well skilled in applying remedies according to men's specific diseases. 
Therefore, it is not for nothing that he insists so strongly on such things. And why? Because he saw that men needed to be held in check, and that such kinds of wickedness would have reigned if he had not set himself stoutly against them, and cast barriers in their way, as if he had said, Stop there and don't play the loose cult. If he had not ordered beforehand that men were not to rush forth into such vices, surely all would have dissolved into chaos. And if this wickedness existed in those days, we may be sure that we are not exempted from it nowadays. And therefore, let us understand that since our Lord uses so much earnestness in this manner, He is warning us to occupy ourselves in minding these things, so that we think on them day and night, early and late, so that we may walk in such chastity and sobriety that our lives may not break forth into such beastly sins, but that we may be given to God to serve Him purely. That, I weigh, is what we have to gather from this place. And let us not flatter ourselves, for God knows well what is needful for us, or else He would not here have spoken of things that are so shameful that we are embarrassed even to name them. And what about that, then? Was not God aware of our sensibilities in this area? Yes, of course. But he knew that the heart of a man is a dreadful dungeon, and that we must be restrained as it were by force, or else he would never be able to hem us in. So then, let this provoke us the more to look closely at ourselves, so that we do not overshoot ourselves in one way or another, but be vigilant to dedicate ourselves to the service of God with all purity, as I said before. And moreover, let us understand that lechery is in itself so loathsome a thing before God, that even if men make no account of the punishing of it, this will be of no help to us when we stand before the heavenly throne. For it is no small thing that God banishes all whoremongers and lechers out of his kingdom, as it is said both in 1 Corinthians 6.9, as we have seen recently, and also in Hebrews 13.4. That is what we have to bear in mind, namely that God will not have men to give rein to their fleshly lusts by accompanying together like brute beasts but that every man should live chastely in marriage, and be so honest in that regard that nature not be forgotten, as it is when the son-in-law accompanies with his stepmother, or with the father with his own daughter, or with his daughter-in-law, or when the brother marries his sister. Rather, these degrees of consanguinity should be observed. For without such order, what would become of things? How would we differ from bulls and asses? Thus you see what we have to gather concerning the first point we made earlier, which is that our Lord here condemns all manner of unchaste dealings, and will not have men to behave themselves lawlessly in such cases, but to dedicate themselves unto Him, and consider that their bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and members of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore that they must repress their wicked affections. Keep that in mind as the first point. Coming then to the second point mentioned earlier, God has here set down such examples before our eyes as ought to make us afraid, in that he speaks of those who, against nature, company with their own mothers, stepmothers, or sisters. He speaks expressly of them, so that from the one we should come to the other, as we see he does in all his law. We have declared this more at length earlier. When he wants to condemn hatred, he speaks of murder. Why? Because if a man tells us that no man ought to hate his brother, we easily grant it to be a sin but yet we make no conscience to do it. But when God says that he who hates his brother is a murderer, then we are the more abashed and restrained. Likewise in this text, when scorners jest at whoredom, they show that they believe God ought not to call them to account for it. And this vice did not just arise yesterday, 
we have seen it in all ages, as Moses reports here. And therefore, God names the most detestable kinds of lechery, so that we should conclude from it that if we do not live chastely, we shall fall from one evil to another, until we are fallen into such a bottomless pit as would be horrible to think about. That is what we have to keep in mind on this text. So, we ought to take benefit from this warning, considering our blockishness. We think of ourselves as sharp and quick-witted, yet we understand nothing of the teaching of God. We are so dull that he finds it needful to use shocking speech with us, or else we would not be moved by the matter. In brief, we have less wit and reason than young babes have. Let men commend themselves as much as they like, and let them glory in the opinion that they are very able. It is still the case that they are so dull that they would be just like brute beasts if our Lord did not speak in a shocking way to us. And why is this? Clearly, it is because we are so possessed by our fleshly desires. None is so deaf as he who will not hear, as they say. Since we see this, let us take better heed, and when men speak in a shocking manner to us, let us not think they do us wrong, as some do who are so nice that if a man uses a rough style with them, they say, Oh, I could have understood all this just as well if you had been nice about it. I'm just like a little baby. In brief, they are upset if a man speaks sharply to them, for they fondly presume in their own imaginations that they know all that is necessary after the first sentence spoken to them. But notice that God here speaks in another style and language. Why does he do so? Because he sees that there is need. So then, let us allow ourselves to be taught according to our capacity. And seeing we are slow, if our Lord wakes us up, let us receive it meekly and learn to do ourselves good by it. And so you see what we have to gather from all these texts. Assault Moving on to verse 24, which says, Cursed be he who strikes his neighbor in secret. We find that this is spoken against all hatred and rancor, and may serve for a conclusion for today's lecture. A man might demand here how it comes to pass that God here is cursing those whose whole offense is in things of which no mention is made in his law. For I have told you before that it is enough for a man to observe the things contained in the Ten Commandments, and that the whole perfection of our life is set down there. But no mention is made there concerning the blind. So then, how does it happen that God here denounces vengeance against something not forbidden in his law? Well, we see from this, as I have mentioned at other times before, that our Lord in his law requires all things that concern charity, such as that we should aid one another, and that there should be such a common bond among us that every man should spend himself in helping his neighbor. Whatever then is contrary to this is forbidden and condemned by the law of God. And that is why it is said here, Cursed be he who strikes his neighbor in secret. Under this saying, our Lord has comprehended all the misusages that we can offer to our neighbor, so that if we give him only a flip, it is a kind of murdering him. And when we see how a man who only grinds his teeth at his brother is condemned to hellfire, what will become of him who lifts up his fist? Surely, even to stir up a man's tongue against his neighbor is a sin worthy of grievous punishment. If we so much as go humph in a scornful or disdainful way, it is forbidden. How much more, then, shall we be blamed if we go about trying to outrage them in some way? Let us therefore mark that here, under one particular, God generally comprehends all the outrage, violence, and misdeeds that we can do toward our neighbors. And he says expressly, in secret or privately, so that we should keep in mind something I have mentioned to you before, 
namely that in this case the matter is not determined by a yielding of account before men. Suppose we have broken all the commandments, and yet no man challenges us for it, and the public authority approves of our doings. And when we are accused of it, we are acquitted, so that no man dares to complain about the disorders we have committed. Suppose that were the case, still we know that God speaks otherwise, saying that if we have done our neighbor any harm privately, his blood will cry out against us for vengeance when we think we have escaped. And we see what is said of Abel. Even though no man gave information against Cain, and no process of law went against him, yet the blood of the murdered man spoke. God does not say, I have heard a report about this, but rather, the blood of thy brother cries to me against thee. Here then we see that God is not threatening us with some punishment to be suffered at the hands of men, but rather is telling us that we must walk before him and in his presence. And even though we do not fear any earthly justice, yet we ought not to forbear to restrain ourselves. For when God exercises his office, then the vengeance he has spoken of here must be executed upon all such as have escaped by favor, or concealed their crime, or offended so cunningly that no man could ever find it out. Seeing that this is so, let us look to it that we enter into our own consciences, and have God's law written there. Let us not be so much concerned with what men think, saying, I have not been blamed or reproved. Rather, let us consider that our God watches over us, and understand the office of his word to be such as is written in the epistle to the Hebrews, that when it is preached out to us, then all things must come to trial, and it must enter in even to the most secret thoughts of our hearts. Now if God's word has such power, let us assure ourselves that much more it has the office attributed to it. For this reason let us be restrained by this means, and when we have served God with our hearts, let our lives be so answerable thereunto, that when we shall come before our Lord Jesus Christ, we may show that we are truly minded to serve him, and not to please mortal men. Prayer Now let us all fall down before the majesty of our good God, with acknowledgments of our faults, praying him to vouchsafe to give us true repentance of them. And moreover, that he would bear with us until he has rid us quite clean of all our sins, and of all our spots, and that he would make us so to profit by the things we hear, that we may learn more and more to renounce ourselves, and to repress our wicked lusts, until he has clothed us again with the purity of that righteousness to which he has called us. And let us all say, Almighty God, Heavenly Father, etc.